The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. I'm Molly Wansall. And I'm Geoffrey Wansall. And for the last 16 years or thereabouts, we have been having lunch every Saturday and often our conversation turns to murder. And that's what's prompted us to launch this true crime podcast called Blood Ties. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Blood Ties podcast. I'm Molly Wansall and I'm here with my father, Geoffrey Wansall. Hello everyone, welcome back. It's a delight to be with you as it always is. Mo's not been awfully well, but we're in goodish shape this morning. Yeah, fine, get in there. Get in there, in the best of spirits. Um, and we're always interested to hear from uh, from you about what you think. I got a very interesting uh, email from uh, our regular correspondent, Phil Brown. Hey, Phil. Hi, Phil. Um, pointing out that he'd listened to two of the Devils in the Dark uh, podcasts, both of which included me. Oh, yeah, because we keep hearing your voice trailed on our podcast, don't we? But they, they've just ripped it from, what, from World's Most Evil? I think they're taking it from World's Most Evil, yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps we should... So, t- what, so how do they construct this podcast? We'll I have haven't to listened look it to it. Up. Uh, so I, they must cut bits from the... I think they're just... TV pro- and stuff. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. Maybe we should on. write to them and say, perhaps you'd like to invite Jeffrey on. Yes. I mean, it, it is quite... It's quite eerie. I mean, I don't mind uh, because I've done such a lot, but it's a bit odd. So uh, generous of you. Uh, it is a bit funny. Um, I'm just showing Mo the email oh. I got from Phil. Yeah, I'm feeling confused. It's quite odd. It's like quite an odd way to construct a podcast if you're just like record, like replaying bits of. No offense, I'm sure it's a great podcast. No, I haven't listened we're, to we're it. We're pro so all the podcasts, but um, yeah, it's quite odd. <laughs> it's a little bit eerie if you put it that. If I to put it politely, you're out there host. You're, you're yeah, <laughs> telling stories on yet another medium. Yes, yeah, you come. One comes at this from such a an odd angle, and I've been recording, um, you know, I mean, a little f- flush of recording documentaries, and um, you do get a bit confused. I, I, I tend to forget, I'm not sending myself up here, but sometimes I forget which case I'm dealing with. Well, you do have a lot. You know, and you, you think, now, what one was this one again? Um, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> it's kind of... Gosh, <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah, I mean it's wonderful, um, but it's also eerie in a way because you spend all week. I mean, this week I've been working, and next week will be the same. And all you really got is more and more darkness. And in a way, the story we're going to do in this podcast is at least. That contains no death. 
This week's, um, as in, and I think many of the cases we're doing at the moment, was recommended to me by a listener. Now let me find her. Oh, yes, I think you said to me it had been. Yeah, I think I said, this lady said we should do this, and I said that's a good idea. Um, why can I not? Her name's Kate. Thanks, Kate. It's also tied to the fact that both the BBC, BBC4 that is, and ITV are broadcasting dramas on this case simultaneously. The BBC one sounds very silly to me. I didn't even know about that. Anyway, the ITV one, which begins, well, this podcast will come out after the first episode. The day after. The day after the first episode. Um, they've spent a lot of time and money on it. So let's... I wonder if you can guess what it is from that <laughs> yes, preamble. That preamble. Um, should we do it then? I think we probably should, Mo. Are you going to call it The Canoe Man? I think we call it The Canoe Man. The ITV drama is called The Thief, His Wife and the Canoe. That's what the book's called. And that's what the book is called. The book's written by an old colleague of mine called David Lee in association with the detective superintendent who worked on case um i've read the book i've got it in front of me um uh, well we'll come to that as we go along okay all right well um here we go with the canoe the canoe man is one of the most extraordinary stories of fraud and disappearance that I can remember. The most famous other disappearances that immediately come into my mind are Lord Lucan, who we've done, and John Stonehouse, the former paymaster general in the Tory government. Is he the one that walked into the sea? That's right, left his clothes on the beach. They're doing, in Florida? Yes. They're doing a drama about that now. I've read that, it's good. Oh, it's because it's a great story. So we'll do that soon. Yeah, we'll do but that. They're fil- I think that's either finished filming or, or filming now. No, I didn't know that. But yeah. that's the only other one that immediately mm. sticks into my mind, leaps into my mind. Did he actually. turn up, though? Because yes. Lucan didn't turn up, did he? No, no, Lucan didn't turn up, but Stonehouse did. Um, this is a story of a man called John Darwin and his wife, Anne. Effectively... And I ought to go back to the beginning here. They were a slightly peculiar couple. I have got the the photograph out so Mo, Mo can remind herself what they look like rather than looking at the actor and actress. Oh, yeah. Okay. John Darwin was born in Hartlepool, County Durham, in August 1950. Uh, he was perfectly ordinary. Um, he married in 1973... He married a woman called Anne Stevenson. And he went on. He was quite clever at science. And he taught science and maths for 18 years. So far, so ordinary. He left teaching partly to go into Barclays Bank, but that didn't seem to last very long. And then he went into the prison service and he became a prison officer in County Durham. Odd progression, it seems to me, but then nothing about this story is exactly ordinary. But the couple, she was a doctor's receptionist. They'd had two sons, Anthony and Mark, 
or Mark Antony actually in that order, <laughs> if you like the Julius Caesar reference. Um, and they ran a, a sideline, a little business in renting out bedsits in County Durham. There is some evidence that Darwin was a first-class fantasist. He believed he could do anything and that he was going to succeed. Um, I think my favourite example is they, in 2000, they bought two houses on the seafront in Seton Carew, which is quite close to, uh, which is not far from Middlesbrough, um, on the County Durham coast. Um, they were two Victorian seafront homes, um, and one they, they one was for them to live in, and the one next door, uh, they converted into thirteen bedsits. Trouble is, they couldn't let them, so what they did, <laughs> they just ran up debts. And my, I think my favourite part of this is um, John, convinced that it was all going to be wonderful, went out and bought himself a brand new black, blue Range Rover with personalised number plates. Now, that must have stuck out in the prison car park, wasn't with what? it? what? With his credit card? Well, they, they, it's just the whole thing. It's a tissue of lies. Mm. Um, by the time of John's, quotes disappearance, they owed about £350,000. Well, that makes you feel sick. Well, <laughs> it would make me feel worried. Never feel pay- you never pay off that much debt. Well, no. And, well, not surprisingly... John, who's already living in, I think, a most complete fantasy land, says to his wife Anne, "The boys have, you know, grown. I mean, one one's working in London." John says, um, "I'm going to have to do a Reggie Perrin." He told Anne, "This was a television show in the 1970s in which Leonard Rossiter plays a man who decides to disappear to escape his worries." Um, Anne insisted, and I quote again, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was so angry. I'm the one who'll have to do the lying. You can't honestly expect me to tell the boys you're dead. What sort of mother do you think I am? I heard on the radio this morning, and sorry if that's, is that he was also like coercive and quite unpleasant. Well, that, that, we'll get there. We'll okay. get to that, okay? Coercive he may have been, but... She didn't disagree. No, no, understood. Okay, so on the 21st of March, Darwin decided to stage his disappearance. It was the 21st of March, 2002. And he decided that he was going to do it the sea was pretty calm. He was going to get into his red kayak or canoe, one man, paddle with um, paddles on both Inside. ends, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he was going to go out to sea. And then when nobody was looking, he was going to come back up to the coast, a bit further along, and then send his canoe and the paddle back out to sea. And meanwhile, he was going to hide so that no one would see him. And you have to admit that this is a vision of the world which is quite idiosyncratic. Mm. 
Well, Anne, of course, it's all prearranged. Anne gets in the car, drives up to find him where he's been hiding. They've agreed he's going to be. Picks him up and drives him to the station at Durham. And then he gets a train to Cumbria and, and lives on the beach for a few weeks. I mean, it really is the most extraordinary story. And then, of course, once she's reported him missing, which she duly does, and once she's told her sons that their father is, quotes, disappeared, she drives to Cumbria and collects him, takes him back to Seton Crew. I don't think that sounds like someone who's coerced, but never mind. Well... While he's reported missing, there's a ma massive search of 62 miles of coastline. The day after he disappears, the, the paddle turns up, but the canoe itself doesn't turn up for another two or three days. And the search is ca called off after, I think, three days. Um, because it's quite clear that, I mean, although the weather wasn't particularly bad and the sea wasn't particularly bad, why would he have got into difficulties? Nobody really put two and two together. I mean, you wouldn't, would you? You know, you wouldn't expect some man who was then in his 50s to do something quite as extreme. Do you mean you wouldn't have expected him to be faking his disappearance, so you just assumed he did fall into the water and drown? Yes. Um, he could have had a heart attack or who knows, anything. Oh, it could, but in which case the body would have turned up. Oh, yeah, I know, but, you know. Bodies almost always turn wash up. Wash up, yeah, I know. After four days, the search operation was called off, and three weeks later, after Mark and Anthony had gone back home, Anne drove to Cumbria and brought John back to Seton Carew. When he lived in one of the bedsits next door to where she lived, the two houses he'd bought on the seafront in Seton. But it's like, what's the point of that? Because... You can't have a life, can you, if you're hiding the whole time? Well, he wasn't hiding the whole time. It's actually some very interesting... I don't know whether it'll be in the drama or not. But um, he lived in the bedsit next to Anne for the first best part of a year. And then in February 2003, he moved back in with her. Where are their ch children? Oh, they're away. They've gone because they think their father's dead. Anytime anyone came to visit... Anne, be it the boys or indeed anybody else, they constructed a false door between Anne's house and the bedsits. So he would just go through this false door and sit next door and listen to the conversation. I mean, this is... That's so weird. ...a bit on the weird side. Anyway, not surprisingly, at one point he goes out and... Uh, a neighbour recognises him and says, aren't you supposed to be dead? And he says, don't tell anybody. The neighbour doesn't report it. I didn't want to get involved, I think he said. <laughs> he, get, he decides he's going to get a false passport so that he can leave the country, John Darwin. And so he uses the method used by the jackal in Frederick Forsyth's famous novel, The Day of the Jackal, and he searches in the local churchyard for a child who's died very young and proceeds to get the birth certificate of a child called John Jones. And so he has a passport in the name of John Jones. 
Not surprisingly, Anne and he are thinking of fleeing. Um, so he goes, they, they both go to Cyprus. He's now travelling as John Jones, and she's Anne Darwin. And they look at buying a property in Cyprus. I mean, we are in a world of make-believe, really. And then he decides he's not going to do that. And he flies to Gibraltar and drives into Spain because he wants to look at buying a catamaran. With what money? Well, what a good question. So they got money for him being dead, is that the point? Well, they, they couldn't get the money for him being dead until a death certificate was issued. And did they put? Did he have life insurance from the get-go? Oh, yes, £250,000 worth. Okay. Eventually, Anne claims the insurance money... And they settle on going to Panama because there's no extradition treaty. And besides, Panama is a very nice climate. In 2016, they fly out and they talk to a local estate agent about the possibilities of buying a property or more in Panama. Because for, for the moment, his financial worries in England are over. Now, this picture was to become the, the fundamental proof that John Darwin had not disappeared. That's from the telly programme, though. No, that's not. That's not. That's the real picture. That's not. That's the telly programme. No, that, that's, that's the real picture, I promise you. That's John Darwin. That's not the, the actor. That was the picture that was in the end to bring this whole house of cards come falling down. No, that says portrayed in TV. That's okay. Eddie Marzan, 100%. Okay, well, that's... Uh, anyway, there's a photo of there, there is a famous photo. Yeah. And do you know how it was found? It was very interesting. A newspaper reader, I'll, I'll come on to the rest of the story, Googled ja John, Anne and Panama and came up with the picture of them with the local estate agent who'd been so impressed by his new British friends that he got his wife to take a picture of them. Oh. I mean, it, it's... That's so funny. Well, it's always those sorts of things that catch people out, isn't it? Like always. We always, say. always. Anyway, March 2007, they go back to Panama together and they buy a flat, which is near a church, because Anne insists that she must be near a Catholic church. And they also buy a big chunk of tropical jungle, which they're going to make an eco-resort out of. Are you following this? No, but yep. Okay. Because by now, Anne sold the properties in Seton Carew. The debts are paid off. They've got some residue money, and Panama is cheap. And where do her sons think she is off swanning oh, no. about in Panama with another fellow? No, they just think she's likes to go. She told them there were too many bad memories in Seton Carew and she wanted a fresh start. Okay. Okay. Now, the fly in this ointment is that, and it's typical somehow of John Darwin, he doesn't investigate it thoroughly enough and fails to realise they're about to change the laws about who can own property in Panama. And that if he wants to own property in Panama legally, he's going to have to have proof 
that he is who he says he is. And bear in mind, he's using a passport called John Jones. Mm. Now the story gets even more bizarre. They decide, the two of them, and will remain in Panama, and he'll come back to this country having suffered from amnesia for six years. I mean, that's the, that was the bad move. I mean, it's, it's, it almost defies belief. And uh, David Lee's book, which I do recommend heartily, it's, it's uh, as ever with David, very well done, well written, uh, opens with um, John Darwin walking in to uh, West End Central Police Station in Savile Row on the 1st of December 2007 and saying, um, oh, good evening, officer. Uh, as I just told your young colleague, I think, I think I'm a missing person. <laughs> he pretends to have lost his memory for all these years. The police, in fact, realised that, of course, that there was a missing man reported missing. He's taken the opinion, he's, he's of the opinion, why I can't imagine, that the fact that he's cashed in his pension money, the life insurance... That's all legit. That's he doesn't all pe- think that's a problem. He <laughs> doesn't see that as a problem, no. And so this charade is conducted. His son's phoned up and said, well, we think we've got your father here. What? Yes, we think you've got your, we've got your father here. The other son, believe it or not, is on holiday in America with his new girlfriend and he's summoned back to meet the disappeared father who is persisting that he doesn't remember anything. So, if you like twists, this is a good one. He, John, rings Anne in Panama or rather the police ring her and uh, put him on. And she says, oh, John, is that really you? Knowing full well she put him on the plane only a day or so before. <laughs> so this this house of cards, which is what it is, um, begins to wobble rather significantly. Because not surprisingly, um, it all looks very odd. But he was convinced, being John Darwin, he was convinced that everybody would fall for this amnesia story. He'd get proper papers so he could go back to Panama and develop his eco-resort and live with Anne. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) Well, it does have a certain air of... Anyway, because of it... And this is, again, another of those funny little tip-offs... One of Anne's colleagues in the doctors had begun to suggest anonymously that um, something odd was going on. And the police had already begun investigating the financial construction around this whole disappearance, getting the life insurance money. And then, and then the nail in this particular coffin is the appearance of the photograph of John and Anne in in Panama Panama City with the local estate agent. agent. 
A year before. A, yeah, a year before. And what's more, which proves conclusively that John was certainly, you know, alive and well. Hmm. And then, of course, Anne has to admit that, yes, it was them. She knew all along. Well, of course she knew all along. There's no question about it. Um, I think the saddest thing she was quoted as saying is, my sons will never forgive me. She's She returns to uh, England. By this time, John has been arrested for fr fraud. Uh, she returns to England as, and is arrested at the airport. Both are remanded in custody. John, I suppose, thinking, well, I might as well, fesses up. He says, I did it. I'm, I'm guilty. She, on the other hand, maintains, and I quote, she chose, who, she, John pleaded guilty, and she chose what was known as the marital coercion defence, hmm. which is what David Lee quotes in his book. Yeah. Um, which inv uh, involved proving that her wishes had been overridden to such an extent that he had total control of her actions. Isn't that backed up by the sons, though? I know you're not sure about it, but I'm just interested. Well, the only problem with that defence is, of course, the prosecution called the sons okay. to give evidence that she had been an active and willing participant in this ugly charade. And she's quoted, and she quoted in David's book, I hadn't even considered that my children would be called by the prosecution. I will never, ever forgive myself for making my sons give evidence against their own mother. It's a decision that I bitterly, bitterly regret. Regret it or not, she's stuck to her plea. But did they say yes or no? Like, he was coercive or they didn't say? No, they didn't say he was coercive. They mm -hmm. said she she was participant in the... The marital coercion defence didn't work. And just to put, you know, um, to make the point, the judge... Both were guilty. I mean, John's already guilty. She's found guilty. The judge called it a callow and calculated fraud and insisted, which is actually what happened, that every single farthing of the illicit gains from this fraud should be recovered by the police. And they did. £571,000 worth, mm. all recovered by the police, which left... John and Anne in their separate prisons, penniless. Anne got three months longer than John because she'd pleaded not guilty. Mm. They got six years. John got six years and three months. She got six years and six months. How long did they actually serve? A little under half, about that. Um, but one thing that did happen um, while they were both in prison was that they divorced. Yeah, I heard that. Mm. Uh, and now he lives with another lady. No, more than that, he got married to another lady. He lives in the Philippines. He lives in the Philippines with a woman called Marcy May. Um, he's now 71, and his second wife is 48. And they live in Manila. Wow. Um, well, one should add, if you like, a little piquancy to the story. 
that last month, March 2022, he announced he was going to fight with the Ukrainians against the Russians. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. In Ukraine. Well, Although this last week there was no sign it actually gone. Gone. She, on the other hand, now lives in a village quietly, in a village outside um, uh, Middlesbrough. And uh, she'd initially moved into a little sheltered housing in York. She got a part-time job as a receptionist for the RSPCA. And she lives on her own. She's 69, two years younger. So, you, so but David, what's his name's... Lee. Lee's... Uh, view, which I heard him interviewed on the radio this morning, is that she is very much like the weak part of the partnership, as it were. I, I would accept that. No, no, I'm just, I'm just interested that he was, he was very defensive of her. I yes, well, I think you'll find the ITV drama is very defensive of her. Defensive of her, and I, it's a perfectly reasonable point of view. Not one that I share mm. because I think there is too much evidence of the, you know, the utter collaboration. All these trips. So interesting to know what coercion means. I mean, it's a much bigger conversation. It's a bit. It's, it's, um, mu- it's much longer. It's very interesting to look at what coercion is and how it operates in a relationship. Well, funnily enough, the case we're going to do after this one also is involves coercion. It's funny, isn't it? Because we did that good coercion case, didn't we, with the lady that stabbed her husband who'd bullied her for years and years, and That's then right. eventually got mm. put out, taken out of prison. It's a very interesting topic right now. Yes. I think it's very... It's I very mean, this content- is an extraordinary story on its own yes. outside of that. Well, I think there's no doubt that probably the RTV drama is very pro-Anne, or at least more likely. And certainly David Lee's book is broadly pro-Anne. Um, I think perhaps they were living in an alternate universe you know they, it's not that much different from the landscapers case, not really but the other way around in terms of where the fantasy lay yes you know where who 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 had the fantasy you know where mm. and, and who fed whom and what does that mean in a relationship yes. when you're kind of embedded in one another well it, is it folly ardeur this is one the sum of the two more dangerous than the one or is what is it well yeah I mean, you need two people to carry that off not necessarily but I think it's. I mean, I yeah, I do think. I think. I think in life, maybe it is easy to. Not easy. I think life is really hard, and just like generally, living life is hard, and it's expensive, and it's a slog, and I can understand why people spend too much money on credit cards and live in an, in a in a way that's beyond their means and get themselves into all sorts of trouble and you know as much as Jamie Bulger's killers might be influenced by watching video games these people could be equally influenced like the landscapers couple by watching westerns and old movies yes, you know absolutely but there is no doubt i mean in fact um the sons have now um reunited with their mother 
But there's no doubt that they were both extremely angry. I mean, in a interview... Lying um, about your dad being dead to your yes, children is really bad. Um, you know, as even she were to put, was to point out, you know, it'll all be all right for you, John. You, you'll just disappear. One lie. I'm going to have to lie for years. Mm. And the, the, one of the sons was later quoted as saying, she, she was a hideous lying bee who'd gone to outrageous lengths to con us. And another of the sons, Anthony, they're as bad as each other. Dad told one nasty lie and disappeared and said he was dead. But she lied for six years. She was the face of the lies. She kept on lying even when the evidence was so overwhelmingly against her. She dragged us through hell by forcing a court case. Mm. I don't see Anne as the uh, necessarily the... Yeah, interesting. It, it is interesting, and it's of course open to interpretation. Yeah, and of course everybody will have a different view, and mm. that's what makes it a good case, isn't it? Mm. That he, he says, "What, what do you think?" What definitely worth having a dig into. Yes, but I, I do recommend. I mean, I would certainly recommend a drama. I'm looking. I will certainly be looking at it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it is a fascinating case, and it raises a lot of issues. The marital coercion defence being central to it it is central because also if it wasn't that that's an issue because it's such an important law to have because it's so significant that women can and men can be coerced in relationships and it can be extremely abusive and look okay Mm, from the outside i couldn't agree more my don't want to undermine that no i wouldn't want to undermine in the slightest and again but but bear in mind the jury in the trial in Anne's trial not only had the benefit of hearing from both sons but also the benefit of seeing her in the witness box yeah i mean she's coming across to me from this conversation as just like not super bright probably not uh, but that, that maybe that's unfair so there is the story of the canoe man canoe man great thank you interesting lots to chat about yes raises lots of issues interested to know what you think yes do send us a note or you know yeah do do message us um what was it how how do people get us again can we just um so you can email us at bloodties.podcast at gmail.com you can find us on instagram and twitter at bloodties underscore pod uh you can find jeffrey's email on his website jeffreywansel.com uh and that's it i think yes it is are you going to do anything I mean, I don't think we need to cheer yourself up after this that wasn't so depressing, story. It wasn't goodness. as depressing as some. But if you've got something cheerful lined up, feeling um, better, I hope. That would be most important. Feeling better, yeah. I've actually got next week off work. Not that I actually take, but it just means I don't have to go to the office. And um, I've booked myself to have a facial in this salon where I've really wanted to have a facial for about three years. So I'm quite excited about that. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Mm. Oh, I think I've got just a, 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 my week's... Can, coming will be spent on catching up with things we're doing a podcast together yes we are for somebody else yeah which we'll tell you all about will we well we will when i have all the information oh okay because i can't remember off the top of my head (laughs) i certainly don't know i'm just turning up yeah um but you know i think it's sometimes good idea in this podcast to not to make it too bleak I mean, we we have gone through bleak periods, and then we've always tried to leaven it a little bit, mm. um, um, because. But it, it what it does demonstrate 
is the extraordinary nature of the human <laughs> conscience. The human condition. The human condition. Yes, there's a lot of odd people out there. there yes, there are. Well, I think we probably should thank everyone. Though. Yes, thank you so much to all the people that help us, our producer Sam Brain, um, my brother Dan who did the music, my friend George who drew our caricature, Audio Boom for hosting us, for Jeffrey for all the hard work, and to you the listeners, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I could not endorse Mo's remarks any more forcefully. We really do owe everything to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there. Um, we would be nothing without you so remember bad things happen to good people so do be careful out there the biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back the podcast show london will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of may also featuring major industry players, global brands, and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus, creator meetups, networking, and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Listener.